Hi, and welcome to another podcast from The Human Diver, where we are looking to apply counter-errorism techniques in diving. By that we mean human factors and non-technical skills. Our goal is to give you the knowledge and skills so that your dives are safer and more enjoyable. The podcast is a mixture of short podcasts based on the blogs we have, and longer podcasts, which will be interviews or discussion topics. Show notes will be provided so you can dig deeper if you want. Ready to jump in? The title of this blog might appear to be a bit strong, but consider the following. The man dropped the vase and it broke. The vase broke when it was dropped by the man. The first sentence puts the action or agency on the man on the who was involved, whereas the second statement focuses on the vase. This second approach makes it easier to ask the question, what happened or how did it happen? Because the former statement focuses on an individual, there is a tendency to look at their behavior, skills and attitudes and we fall foul of the fundamental attribution error. This is where we look at the individual and their skills, attitudes and behaviors as the cause of the event, rather than looking at the context, how did it make sense for them to do what they did? In a more complete situation like the following where a diver ran out of gas, which of the following two stories is more likely to explain the rationale of the divers involved? I was a diver on a day boat, we had already completed one dive on the wreck and we were planning on a similar second dive on the same wreck. I was diving with twin 80s and the wreck was in 100 feet, 30 meters. The cylinders were not topped up between dives as there wasn't a compressor on board. We briefed the second dive and what we planned to do, including swimming into the superstructure of the wreck. During the second dive, I struggled with getting onto the anchor line and down to the wreck. On arrival at the wreck, I checked my SPG and noted that I didn't have much gas not enough for the planned dive. The current was stronger than expected too. I didn't say anything immediately, and before I could signal them, my buddy swam off into the superstructure of the wreck to explore. I chased them down and signaled that we needed to ascend as I was nearly out of gas. We got back to the anchor just as my regulator went tight, and I then did a gas-sharing ascent to the surface with my buddy. We didn't tell anyone what had happened. Or this second one? I was a diver on a dayboat. This was the first time I had dived with my close friend for a while. I had just finished a cave class in Florida and it was great to get out on a boat and dive this large wreck. We had already completed one dive in good visibility and there was no current and were planning on a similar second dive on the same wreck. I was diving with twin 80s and the wreck was in 100 feet, 30 meters. This was different to the recent cave diving class where I was diving HP 130s, twin 16 CS. The cylinders were not topped up between dives as there wasn't a compressor on board. We briefed the second dive and what we planned to do, including swimming into the superstructure of the wreck. As I entered the water for the second dive, I noticed that the current was much stronger and I struggled with getting onto the anchor line and then down to the wreck, almost like a flag on a pole. As we got to the bottom, I checked my SPG and noted that I only had 1000 PSI, 70 bars, which wasn't enough for the planned dive as the minimum gas needed was 750 PSI, 50 bars, only 250 PSI, 20 bars to complete the dive. The current was much stronger than this morning's dive. While I was checking my gas, my buddy swam off to the superstructure to get out of the current and start the penetration. In the bright light, I couldn't signal effectively. I chased them down and had to make an immediate decision, enter the wreck and get my buddy or do a solo ascent with low gas in a high current. I signaled my buddy in the dark corridor and they immediately turned and we returned to the anchor line. 
As we got back to the anchor, my regulator went tight and then we did a gas sharing ascent to the surface. On the surface, we talked through all of the critical factors that lead to this event, including inferred peer pressure, changing conditions in the water, not recognizing the impact of high current, the small cylinders between ocean diving and cave diving, not acting as a team at the bottom to ensure we were both okay before setting off into the wreck, not checking before entering the wreck. Much of this was something that an effective brief would cover. We also talked about the positive aspects of the gas sharing ascent and how previous practice and experience made that emergency less eventful. We didn't tell anyone on the boat about what happened because the mistake was obvious and stupid. The story is the same, but there are different words used to describe what happened. There is more context, and it is the context which shapes our understanding of the event and how it made sense for the divers to behave in the manner they did. Note this is their behavior, not how you think you would behave. The focus in the second narrative has moved from an individual's failure to plan their dive effectively, monitor their gas while on it, and then tell their buddy there was an issue, to one in which the decision-making process can be seen to be shaped by the context in which the diver found themselves. They missed information at the time, but we miss information all the time. It is only after the event that we can see how significant something was, how we present the story, how we present information to people so that they can understand and then comment or judge on the event, is therefore critical. Research from 2018 showed that when a simple linear cause and effect incident report created by combining multiple statements into a single narrative is provided to safety professionals to pass comments on the lessons learned and their judgment of the event, the comments were heavily biased towards individual retraining and punishment. However, when the same account was described by providing multiple accounts from all of those involved, with the narratives highlighting the competing goals, organizational pressures, and lack of resources, the feedback from a similarly trained group of individuals was focused further up the organizational system and didn't include any punitive action. It isn't just about how the information is presented to the reader. The assessments and judgments are also based on how much knowledge the individuals who read reports have about how safety and failure are created within a system. Research from 2023 has shown that highly experienced pilots are more likely to look at systemic issues, whereas low experienced pilots look at individual failures and lack of compliance rather than the wider system when presented with the same incident reports to review. The availability of context-rich narratives is limited when it comes to diving near misses, incidents, and accidents. There are a number of reasons for this, and this is being explored as part of a research project I'm leading. One of the reasons might be that divers don't know how to tell a learning-based story because they haven't been taught. Sports diving and associated training programs predominantly come from Western cultures. Safety protocols and compliance are often based on Western cultures too. This means that the language is heavily biased towards human-focused agency. Man dropped the vase, not the vase was dropped. So the rules, guidance, and investigation protocols are wired towards looking for the individual who is at fault. If you are diving or working in an environment which focuses on individual blame, and you are asked to provide an account, the account will likely be written in a manner which doesn't look at the context, trade-offs, pressures, flawed rules, conflicting goals, etc., but rather will tend to look at individual behaviours, attitudes and skills of those involved. Look at the reports you find online and see how many consider the context and the error-producing conditions that will be present. How many focus on the immediate proximal causes? 
How many of them take a look further back in time to see how the knowledge and skills of those involved have developed and therefore shaped the current decisions? How many consider how it made sense for the divers to do what they did? Another thing to consider is the length of the incident account. How many of the reports that people make are short, brief narratives? How many of them are context-rich and therefore longer? The second account, above, is over twice as long as the first. People like to be as efficient as possible, system one, and so write a short narrative. But in the case of learning, we have to slow down and engage system two, and provide an account with enough detail so that someone can read it and say, yes, I can see how that would happen, even if you don't agree that it was a sensible thing to do. There is a video linked in the show notes from a graduate at Loughborough University, which brings this perspective to life in a vivid 10-min video and takes two contrasting views of the loss of the Seawall ferry with the loss of 295 passengers, of which 246 were children. You might not agree with what happened and you might want to still blame the captain involved, that is fine. At the same time, this video shows how complex interactions within a multifaceted system can lead to a large loss of life. It is often looked at how the negative leads to failure rather than examining the context. How many times have you seen lack of, without an understanding of why it wasn't possible to address the issues? How much training and experience did people have? What causes the pressures that were present? Were there any conflicting goals? It isn't just the reports that contain this language. The guidance documents on how to complete an investigation are full of these statements as causes of accidents and incidents. Summary. If we want to change our attitude towards failures, near misses, incidents, and accidents in diving, we must change the language we use. We must move from an individual blame-focused approach to one which looks at the wider system, the relationships within it, and the context in which divers and instructors are operating. This context needs to capture competing goals, limited resources, time, equipment, money, what does a normal look like, how risk is managed, four T's, and what happens when adverse events have occurred in the past. Unfortunately, the guidance that is available is very much written to focus on non-compliance and deviation rather than local rationality and what normal looks like. The human diver has a learning from unintended outcomes course, and I will be writing a comprehensive guide on moving from blame to learning using a human factors and system learning approach. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more about what was discussed in this episode, head over to the Human Diver website at thehumandiver.com where you will find details about our education programs, the If Only documentary, the book Under Pressure, and the many, many blogs we have published there. If you think others should listen and learn, consider sharing the link. Thank you.